couple of housekeeping things real quick before I introduce the revivalist for this week, and that is Aaron Bell. Where are you? Aaron, would you raise your hand? He's got, yeah, you stand up, and your mom stand up with you. She, here's the thing, you know, when you, when you send your kid off to a strange place, and there's not many stranger places than this, it can make you a little nervous, so she came up to help him kind of set up his apartment and stuff. If you could, before you leave, give her, like, great confidence that she's leaving him in a great place, okay, Aaron? Thank you, and he'll be with us as our resident minister uh, for a few months, and so we're grateful for that and enjoy the, the new venture that he's going to have as well as us. also want to say Bill Smith down here is 88 years old today, 88. So we say happy birthday to him. He's a great part of this church. We're grateful for his work. Uh, there is a meal each night. I, I know you know that, but I, I want to kind of stress a little bit that tonight, of course, our services are at 5.30 as normal, and then the rest of the nights will be at 6.30 and a meal before that. And we say the meal starts an hour before, but the reason for the meal is to make it easier for you. I know how crazy it is to try to get everything together before you get here. If you come in at 6.10, I hope that, I hope that you'll feel comfortable, and if you're just a little hungry or something to tide you over, we'll have that line open as long as we can. If if you're saying, well, I can't get here at 530 to eat, we're going to keep open as late as we can because it needs to be convenient for you. So if you can get here at 6, 610, whatever, and run through that line real quick and eat before we start at 630, you're welcome to do that. I just want it to be something that's convenient for you. And don't forget, even Wednesday night is 630. Uh, so I, I want to make reference to that. You've had your 40 days uh, booklet, and, and you know a lot about Wayne. I've put some stuff about Wayne Kilpatrick in there. I put some stuff about gospel meetings in there. Uh, I, I don't know the days when there was a gospel meeting and people responded. Some of the older ones know these days. Those days when Jimmy Allen would come by and make you feel the fires of hell and, and, and other things, and it caused you to come forward, and there would be multiple res responses. I've, I've not seen those days. And I'm even being told that those days are kind of gone. We don't need to do this anymore. And I, I do understand why we say that. But there is an occasion, isn't there? There's an occasion to give just a little extra time to hear the gospel preached again, to be reminded of that good news. Now, we, I, I preach the gospel on a weekly basis here, but it's not like you're going to hear it this week. This, this proclamation is different than you normally hear it. I, I wasn't trained to preach this way, but I know some people who can, and Wayne Kilpatrick is one of them. And that's why we've asked him to come here. And I know that a lot of you, you're like, we can't come on certain nights. I get it. Come as you can. Invite people as you can. Give people an opportunity to hear this in a different way. I want to hear it again and be excited again for the, for the message that gave me life. And it gives you life. And there are people who have not responded to it. And so we want to give this opportunity. Wayne comes to us from Birmingham, Alabama. I have no idea how we got associated. I don't know where I got his name from. But we've worked together a couple times, two or three times in the past, and I've seen the ability he has to reach people in a way that's different than mine and different than I'm used to. I remember a Sunday when there was a man who had been, who had been disfellowshipped years before for uh, 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 adultery on his family, and he had left his family but never divorced it. It's really strange how this happened. But he just left. He ran off with somebody and left, and the church had to take an action and response because he was a deacon at that time. 
And years and years went by, and people thought, this guy will never do anything in response. That, that was a waste of time. And some people didn't say, we shouldn't do that. But that's what Scripture has you do. And I remember the night that Wayne Kilpatrick was preaching this message, and it was particularly, it was particularly compelling. And this man came down the side of the church building, and it was the man who had been disfellowshipped 40 years before. And I'd never seen a church respond like that and be so moved by the response of someone, having thought that that was all a wasted effort. And the man acknowledged that what they had done was right. It had run its course, and he needed to get things right. I'll never forget that. Every preacher worth his salt, especially a young one, needs older preachers to surround him and be an encouragement. We need G.W. Allison's around still today. Maybe he can't get into a pulpit and preach like he used to, but he has a function still in the lives of preachers to share an experience that they've not seen and things that they've not done, to issue warnings and give encouragement, and there's no one more encouraging than a G.W. Allison. He is a preacher's favorite ex-preacher to be around, never that jealousy and pettiness, but always encouraging. We have a Don Smith with us now who can, with the voice of God, kind of tell you some stories into the past. Well, the guy that I've used awful lot, before I made the move to come over here, I called Wayne Kilpatrick, and he told me his story, and I remember his story from years ago. He gave me a lot of encouragement. Since then, I've called him two or three times, and he's never failed to answer the phone. Some people look at that and say, I don't want to answer his. He always answers the phone, and he's got incredible wisdom and I love him for it, and he's gotten away with the truth, and I love him for it, and that's, that's, that's the reason he's here this week, and you would be wise to sit at his feet as much as you can. These older preachers I love so much for what they do. Let's pray together, and he's going to preach to us. Father, be present here today. Work through Wayne Kilpatrick. Bless him with strength and the ability to present what he has in mind, and God, help us as people who are attuned to you, who care about spiritual things, who love the truth, who remember how we were saved from certain death and know that a world that we live in so much is headed that way. Help us to care, help us to love, help us to want to hear the truth, help us to want to bring people who need to hear it and help us, Father, to respond to it. Maybe not with a need to, to be baptized, but a need to remember and, re and reflect and appreciate the God who loves us. Be with Wayne work through him, touch us, change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I thought it had been hugged and I thought it had been kissed, but that was before I met him. What an introduction. May God forgive him for exaggerating so much, and may God forgive me for enjoying listening to it. It's great to be with you folks. I'm honored to be here. I've said before, I love Spencer Furby. I think he's one of the greatest preachers in a local church that I know about. It's an honor to be here. We're going to talk about God's recipe for revival. You've been praying about it. You've been talking about it. And now it has begun. But how do you have a revival? What's the recipe? What, is there some kind of secret ingredients that go into making a revival? I'm glad, first of all, you called a revival. Uh, I remember the first time I ever introduced the word revival in the church where I was in West Tennessee. We had a marquee sign out in front of our building. And uh, my job was to go out and put little sentence sermons on that as the minister there. And I remember one time we were having a gospel meeting. 
And so I went out, I spelled out gospel meeting, I put the date, I put uh, the name of the evangelist, I put everyone welcome. I went on the other side and started to write the same thing, but I didn't have enough letters to do it. So I decided if I didn't write gospel meeting, but I wrote the word revival, I could put the other information the same. And so I did that, and I'd hardly gotten back in my office when the tires squealed out front. And a preacher came storming into my office, red-faced, and he said, I don't like your sign. And I said, well, sit down, brother, and tell me which direction you were coming from, as if I didn't know. So he said, I don't like that word revival. He said, you know what, we don't use words like that. Uh, he said, that's a denominational term. They use those words like that. We use gospel meeting. I said, yes, I, I'm, I'm aware of that. He said, we don't have revivals. I said, no, but we've been needing them. Don't you agree? We've been needing them a long time. We just hadn't had any. And so I said, now let me see if I understand what you're saying. You're saying we ought to do Bible things in Bible ways. Is that right? He said, yes. I said, in other words, we ought to call Bible things by Bible names. He said, yes. I said, and I pushed my Bible over to him. It was a King James Version even. And I said, read me about them gospel meetings. He got kind of quiet. And I said, while you're thinking about that, let me quote a couple of passages. Psalm 85, 6. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? How about Habakkuk 3, 2? Revive thy work in the midst of the years. And how about that grand old song we sing, Revive Us Again? Am I going to have to start calling it Gospel Meeting Us Again? Well, he, he finally decided it might not be too bad. But the word revival is a good word. If you break it down in prefix and suffix, uh, vive means life, re means again, and so a revival is not a thing in the world, but it's a return to spiritual awakening following a period of spiritual decline. And I believe, folks, that most of us need a revival. Would you agree? It's okay to say amen in here, isn't it? Okay, sometimes I amen myself and it gets embarrassing, so if you'll do it for me, that'll be helpful. But I think we need a revival. I think you agree with that. Most all of us could do better. Most everyone in here needs from time to time to examine himself. And the Bible says that in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not here to be your judge, and I'll certainly not do that. I'll be preaching the gospel in love this week, but I want you to look inside. I don't want you to look to the left, to the right, or front, or the back. I want you to look inside and decide, do I need a revival in my own life? Do I need... A more fervent passion and, and spirit of love for God and others than I have in the past. And so what we're going to do today is then we're going to talk about God's recipe for, for revival. Just a little while ago, you heard our text, 2 Chronicles 7, 11 to 14. Now, I want to key in on verse 14 because that is the recipe for revival. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn there and follow along. He says, if my people... Who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. There, my friends, is God's recipe for revival. So let's notice one by one what he has to say here about having a revival and healing our land. I have never in my life seen our country as divided as it is today. I think it's a shame that we have so many people who are filled with hatred toward each other. I've never seen it this bad. And, and folks, that is true in politics. It's often true when it comes to race relations. It is often true when it comes even in our homes. 
We have husbands not loving wives, wives not loving husbands, kids who are rebellious. We need to be united. As a country, as a people, we need to be united. You know what might help us? A great old-time revival. Maybe that's what our country needs, an old-time revival. And I'm talking about the kind that goes all the way back to New Testament times, the kind of revival that First Church had when it began to spread the word all over its community and around its then-known world and how people began to respond to the point that in Acts 17, 6, it says, These that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. We need to turn the world back upright. And so we're going to have an old-time revival. Where does it start? It starts with you and me, the people of God. You know, sometimes people say, you know, I think a revival is to baptize men and women, boys and girls into Christ. That's the end result of revival. That's not where it starts. Revival starts with us, with God's people. He said, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. And so I want to ask you three questions to help you to see if you need a revival. Number one, are you a real Christian or do you just wear the name? That old song, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there is right. And everybody who claims to wear the name of Christ may not be wearing it truthfully. So I'm asking you, are you a real Christian or are you just wearing the name? You might say, well, how do I know? How can I be sure? Well, I want to ask you this. How transparent are you? Are you for real? Are you the genuine item when it comes to being Christ-like? Do you conduct yourself on the job as a Christian? In your home, are you conducting yourself as a Christian? Do your children look at you and say, my dad, my mom, they are the real item. Are you a real Christian? Are you transparent? Are you for real? That's my question. Now, the second question is this. Are you a real Christian or just a church member? You know, we sometimes say you can't join the church. Well, a lot of people have. Don't you agree? A lot of people have. There's no change in their lives. You don't see much change happen for them. So I'm asking you, are you a real Christian or just a church member? And you might say, well, how can I tell the difference? Well, let me ask you this. Why did you come here this morning? Why did you give your money a little while ago? What was the motivation behind that? Did you not have something else you could spend that money on? Why do you sacrifice the way you do? What's the motivation back of it? Now, if you were to say to me, well, I'll tell you what, Wayne, it's my duty. It's my duty as a Christian to attend church. It's my duty as a Christian to give my money. It's my duty as a Christian to do this or that. I would say to you, if that's all it is, you are just a church member. If you were to say to me, I'll tell you why I do those things, Wayne. I do them because I love Jesus. I love the Lord. That's my motivation. Is your duty really your desire? Do you do what you do because you'd rather do that than anything else? Sunday's my favorite day of the week. I love Sunday. I love to be together with brothers and sisters who have a, a similar faith who share my love for Jesus. I love the fellowship. I love to hear you sing. I love to hear the prayers. I love it when we go into God's Word and let Him speak to us. Sunday is my favorite day. I look forward to it. And to me, uh, we, we sometimes make it sound like it's a burden. We teach our children we have to go to church. Come on now, kids. You know it's Sunday. We've got to go to church. Come on, kids. It's Wednesday night, and you know we've got to go to church. 
And so our kids grow up with a got to go. I got to go. What about this? When my son was about, oh, seven or eight years old, we were living in Milan, Tennessee, and it was a Wednesday night. And uh, I thought Kevin was already dressed for our church Bible study that night. I came through the den where he was, and there he sat in his play clothes watching TV. And I said, Kevin, I thought you were dressed, son. It's almost time to leave. You got to hurry, get in there, and get dressed. And he looked over at me and he said, Daddy, do I have to go? Do I have to go? I said, uh, by that time I had him by the arm and I led him all the way to his room. And, and he said, Daddy, do I have to go? And I just turned him loose. And I said, no, you don't. You don't have to go. So he started back for TV. I grabbed him and pulled him back. I said, where do you think you're going? He said, I'm going to go watch TV some more. I said, no, you're not. You're going to church. He said, but Daddy, you said I didn't have to go. I said, that's right, boy. You don't have to go, but thank God you get to go. Now get your britches on. <laughs> Why has it got to, folks? I got to go to church. I got to give my money. I got to do this. Why isn't it I get to do this? We do it hilariously. You know, when we give, the Bible talks about not grudgingly or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. And the word there is actually hilarious. I've been to some churches and meetings like this, and they would have down front a, a big old jug where the little children come forward and drop their money in. That's the way they make their contribution. And i got to tell you, folks, I have never seen such hilarious giving in my life. Those kids come running down the aisles, and they're laughing as they drop their contributions in, and I thought, you know, that's what God's talking about. That's the way he wants us to be. We need to be hilarious givers, hilarious workers, uh, worshipers, and I'm talking about just enjoy going to church. Church ought to be fun. Do you agree with that? It ought to be fun to go to church. It ought to be exciting to go to church. Sometimes we start at 10 o'clock sharp and end at 11 o'clock dull. And church can be boring. And as a matter of fact, if you knock on doors and ask people, do you go to church? And they say no. If you were to ask them, well, why don't you go? Most of the time, you know what they say? Because it's boring. Church doesn't have to be boring. It's a sin for it to be boring. Those of us who take part in worship, we got to be prepared and do our best. So when people walk out of here, they say, it was good to be there. It was good to be there. And if something funny happens, now when I was growing up, if something funny happened in church, you better not laugh. I heard about a little boy one time uh, wearing a little short pants in the summertime. He was standing up looking over the back of the pew, and he's just grinning at all the people, just grinning at them. And his mama slapped him on his little naked leg, and she said, stop that grinning in church. So he started crying, which was more scriptural, I guess. But sometimes funny things happen in church, and when they do, I think we ought to be able to laugh about it. We need to enjoy being together, enjoy our fellowship, enjoy the singing and the praying. It ought to be a time for get to, not got to. So then I'm saying to you, if you are here today because you've got to be here, then you're just a church member. Question number three. When you went down into the waters of baptism, did you just get wet or were you born again? There's a difference. There's a world of difference. Jesus said it this way in John 3, 3. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
In verse 5, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Can't see it and he can't enter it. Have to have a new birth. Well, you say again, what's the difference? How, how can you tell the difference? Folks, when you are born again, you are brand new. You start all over. Life changes. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And there's no better way in the world to describe what happens to us than a new birth. Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? New creature. He's a new creature. So I want to know then, if you still go to the same old places you've been going and doing the same old things you've been doing, using the same kind of language or words that you've always said, no changes take place in your life after your baptism, then I believe that's an indication you just got wet. Life should change once you begin to be a new creature. You're a Christ person. You're Christ-like. And so I'm asking you then, look at your life. Are you genuine? Are you authentic? Are you the real Ivan? You say, I'm a Christian, Wayne, I'm a Christian. Well, are you really is my question, and only you have the right to answer that right now. Second question, are you a real Christian or just a church member? And when you were baptized, were you born again or did you just get wet? Now, revival begins with us, folks. When we begin to stand up and live right and do right, and share the message of Christ, we change our world. We can turn it around. The early church did, and you and I can do the same thing. So if my people call by my name, revival begins with us. I hope you'll be able to be here this week and show this community by our lot being filled with cars that a revival is important to us, and the church is important, and Jesus is important. Number two, he said, if, if my people call by my name shall humble themselves. If you want to have a revival, it's going to take a lot of humility. We have to be big enough to be small enough to acknowledge the sin in our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have any problem at all confessing your sins. Well, that's pretty easy, right? I mean, when it comes to uh, seeing the sins of others, I think I may have 20-20 vision. But when it comes to seeing my own, I've got to admit sometimes I'm as blind as a bat. I'd rather confess other people's sins but the thing is, if we're going to have revival, we've got to look inside and confess our sin. It takes humility. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 6, 16 and 17, there's six, seven things God hates. He starts it off with God hates our pride. God hates pride. In Proverbs 8, 13, God hates our pride. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 says, God resisteth the proud but giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time. Luke 14, 11, He that exalteth himself shall be abased. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And in Matthew 5 and 3, when Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about humility, folks. Jesus was humble. If anybody ever had a right to, to brag, it would have been him, but Jesus was humble. And we have to have humility. We need to be able to confess our own sins and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I am a sinner. You know, so many times when we confess our sins, it's so generic that uh, we don't spell it out to God. I don't think you have to tell everybody what you've done, but I do think you need to tell God. I believe we need to confess our faults. Now, here's what the Bible says. 
He says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so we need to confess our sins to each other. We need to confess them to God. It takes a whole lot of humility. I heard about a woman one time who said, before I'd confess my sin, before that, those people at that church, I'd die and go to hell first. Pretty sad, you know it. We have to be humble enough to confess our sins. If my people called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. That's the next thing. And I want to commend you for these 40 days of prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe the devil trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. I believe the church marches to victory upon her knees. And I believe in prayer. And I thank, I, I thank you for spending those days in prayer, praying for this revival, praying for the lost, praying for one another, praying for the church, praying for the poor. I believe that all of that is so very important. And so prayer, we need to pray and pray hard. The Bible talks about God answering our prayers in Matthew 7, asking it shall be given, seeking you shall find, knocking the door shall be opened. He that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh the door shall be opened. Matthew 7, 7. Verse 11 says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven know how to give, give good gifts to them that love him? God knows how to answer our prayers. And so then we want to be sure to pray. And I mentioned a while ago, uh, he talked about prayer, confess your faults, and pray one for another. We need to be men and women of prayer. Need to keep these prayers going now all week. Uh, pray for the lost. Pray for me as I make preparation each day. But we need to be praying and seeking the face of God that God will give revival in this church and revival to our nation. If my people called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Now, folks, this is where it gets hard. It's where the rubber meets the road. We've got to turn from our wicked ways. Now, you say, Wayne... We're, we're good people. We're the best people that Jonesboro has to offer, and you may well be. So why would I talk to you about turning from your wicked ways? I want to mention five practical things that I think all of us can do better, okay? Wickedness may be in our lives. Number one, let's turn away from our neglect of this book. There was a time, folks, when our people could quote the Bible. I would be preaching as a young preacher and I'd start to quote a verse. There'd be a lot of people out in the audience who would be mouthing right along with me those verses. They knew them. They studied the Word. Many of these people were not very well educated, but many of them knew the Bible. We need to do what the Bible says, study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. We've got to study this Word. Three things you need to do with it. You need to, you need to love it. It's God's love letter to you, and you need to love the Bible. You know, one of the first things we teach little babies in our nursery, pat the Bible, pat the Bible, love the Bible. It's God's Word. We start teaching them that when they're in, in our nursery, and our babies in the nursery, love the Bible. And so that's what I'm saying. Love this, this Word. It's God's Word to us. Not only that, but we also need to do our very dead-level best to share this Word with others need to share it. A lot of people don't know the Bible. We're the only Bible they'll ever see. So love it, learn it, and number three is live it. Live it out in your life every single solitary day. We've got to love the Bible. And so let's turn away from our neglect of this book. 
let's get back to a time when we read it on a daily basis and we make it a part of our lives. Here's the second thing. We need to turn away from our desecration of the Lord's day. You know, there used to be a time when Sunday was a holy day, and now it's almost a holiday. Most uh, entertainment events that uh, take place now on Sunday, a lot of them take place Sundays because that's when they get a crowd. When you're driving into church, do you pass people sometimes jogging out on the streets? You pass children playing out in the road or playing in the front of the house? Where are these kids? Why aren't they in church? Why is it that we've gotten to a point that we say, you know, Sunday's the only day I get to sleep in. Sunday's the only day I get to rest. Sunday belongs to God. He tells us that we are to give him worship and praise, and that day belongs to him. And so I'm saying to you, let's give God back his day. Let's tell people all around us, Sunday is the Lord's day. It's not our day, it's the Lord's day. So we ought to turn away from our desecration of the Lord's day. Then a third thing that I would suggest to you is this, and that is we need to turn away from our Christless home lives. A missionary left this country and went to do foreign missions, stayed gone a long time. When he came back, he was reporting to various churches that had helped to sponsor him while he was gone. And one of the brethren asked him this. They said, said, sir, what is the greatest change you've seen in our country since you left? The greatest change you've seen. And without any hesitation, the old missionary said this. He said, the greatest change I've seen is in the homes of America. He said, when I left here many years ago, in almost every home in which I would visit, they had a family altar. They had a time of devotional and prayer in the home, Bible reading with dad reading the scripture and explaining it and and praying with the kids. But he said, nowadays, it's almost non-existent. I don't see any homes hardly ever where they still have Bible study in the home. Christless home lives. And so our children grow up. They don't know Jesus like they should. We leave it too much up to the Sunday school teacher, the preacher, and uh, the church. And then the result is often we lose our kids. Why are we losing so many of them? Many years ago, I heard a preacher say we lose 75% of our kids. 75%. I don't know about you. I don't want that to happen in my family. And I would urge you not to let it happen in your family. That means in my family that I grew up in, my mom, my dad, I, have, I had the four brothers and one sister. One of my brothers has passed away. But four brothers and a sister, five boys, one girl. I would like to tell you this, that two of those brothers served as elders or are serving as an elder. The other three are full-time preachers. And I want to tell you why I think that happened. I grew up in a home where my father would gather us at night around him, open the Bible, and read the scripture. Sometimes we would sing some songs together. And sometimes he would call on one of us to pray. I learned to pray at my father's knees. I learned to love the Bible at my father's knees. My dad served as an elder. His father was a minister. And so in our home, we talked about God. The Bible was read. We we learned to love the Lord there. I'm urging you, if you want to save your kids, you better get back to a time when you have Bible study and devotionals in your home. So we need to turn away, first of all, we need to turn away from our neglect of the Bible, from our desecration of the Lord's day, turn away from our crisis home lives. Number four, let's turn away from our ugly attitudes toward one another. Let me ask you this. Are there people in this room right now to whom you do not speak? 
Are there people in your family, brothers, sisters, to whom you do not speak? You know, the Bible says if, if, if we don't love each other, and the Bible teaches, says love one another many times, but if we don't love each other and make allowances for each other's weaknesses, then can we truly be Christians? Don't we need to turn away from our, our racial prejudice, turn away from ugly attitudes toward one another? Never going to have a revival until we do. Our ugly attitudes. Love one another, folks. All right, one more thing, and that is we need to turn away from our neglect of the lost. I talked about that at the Sunday school hour. Turn away from our neglect of the lost. Let's reach them this week. Do everything within our power to reach them, to bring them in here and see that they learn the truth of God's word. Now, if we do that, what's going to happen? We're going to have a revival. If my people call by my name, starts with us, shall humble themselves, be willing to acknowledge our sins, and pray like we have never prayed in our lives for the lost to be saved, and then turn from our wicked ways, then he said, I'll hear from heaven. That's a promise. I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive your sins, and I'll heal your land. What a promise. That's what we need in America. That's what we need in the church. And so I'm urging you, let's have a revival this week. Tonight I want to talk to you about the God I didn't know. I grew up not knowing the God of the Bible. Even though I was reared in a Christian home where the Bible was read, I don't think I had a true picture of the God of the Bible. So I want you to come tonight. Let me talk to you about the God I didn't know. I think you'll love the lesson. I hope you'll be back. To those of you in this room today, you're not already a Christian. There is no better time than right now for you to walk down one of these aisles this morning to confess your faith. Just let people know, I believe in Jesus. We'll take the confession, ask you that, that you believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. You'll be given an opportunity to share your faith, state your faith in front of this audience. Then we'll take you this very hour of the morning and baptize you into Christ. So you'll have the blood of Christ to cover all your sins. Washed in the blood, You'll walk out of here with your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You'll walk out of here with joy in your life, lightness in your step, a light in your eyes. You'll be happier than you've ever been in your life. And that's a promise, not from me, but from God himself. Joy cometh in the morning. I'm urging you to come today to be baptized. Now, folks, if you need the prayers of this church, if I've described you today as needing a revival and you, you just want to have the church pray for you, We'll be delighted to do that. But I have an idea that many of us today just want to say to God, I can do better. I promise to do better. I want you to forgive me of sins in my life. I want to do the things in this book that you teach me to do. And so if you just do that, just say it to God. You don't have to come and confess to this whole church, but you can do that. You can just say, Lord, forgive me. I want to do better. And from this point on, live your life as God tells you to. But if we can pray for you and get strength from that, then you come today, right now, while we stand to sing. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit.